0: Welcome back to another edition of the Boilers Extra podcast on this Friday evening, and it actually still is Friday evening after Purdue uh, demolished Nebraska ninety-two to sixty-five at Mackey Arena uh, to win its second straight game, and then uh, set up Monday showdown at Illinois. Uh, as uh, Purdue looks to climb a little bit closer to the top of the Big Ten standings, Illinois did win on Friday night. They beat Michigan, pulling away. Uh, Illinois is now six and zero. Purdue is three and two in the Big Ten. So Monday's Monday's a pretty important game for Purdue to try to bring Illinois back to the pack a little bit, but also you know keep Purdue uh, within uh, striking distance of the Illini and Michigan State and uh, Wisconsin uh, as uh, Purdue tries to, you know, recover from a couple early losses in the Big Ten and, you know, try to shoot for another uh, regular season championship. And um, Monday's game is important from that standpoint uh, because you would be, a loss would send them three back of Illinois Uh, Although we're not at the halfway point of the conference season yet, um, you know, Purdue would would start to dig a hole that it would be tough to get out of, and you would need a lot of help to to get back to the top. You know, Purdue does play Illinois twice, uh, so you you, you do have another opportunity there if things don't go well Monday, but um, I I think Monday is a really important game for Purdue. Uh, from a, from a Big Ten perspective, uh, to try to, uh, as I said, bring the Illini back to the pack a little bit, but also Purdue getting a big win on the road, uh, against, uh, against a really good team that, that seems to be clicking right now. You know, they have the inside game, the outside game, you know, similar to Purdue. And, uh, so, you know, we'll see. from From Friday night's game, really not a lot to to, to dissect. I mean, Purdue was ahead twenty three to four before people really settled into their seats. Um, you know, they feasted on turnovers. They they got Nebraska in foul trouble. Uh, they had seventeen fouls before the first media timeout. Uh, you know, Purdue hit free throws to extend the lead, and um, you know, just did. You know, they they got on. They got on the Huskers early and really didn't let up. Even though Nebraska kept it a 15 to 12 point game, 17 point game through through most of the first half and into the second half a little bit until you know Purdue started you know basically dominating the boards, uh, getting some second chance opportunities and continuing to score off turnovers uh, until that lead ballooned over 20 to 25 and you know reached 30 at one point. So. Uh, Purdue just kind of uh, outmanned them. Um, and, you know, and I I, I think this was a game Purdue needed to do that, needed to have that kind of performance, they needed to have some killer instinct. They needed to put a team away um, and really put them away. And I know Nebraska's right now is probably the worst team in the big ten, even though they just played Illinois to uh, a ten-point game and they were tied with Illinois with um, – Four minutes to go. Um, So, you know, Nebraska has shown its ability to play with the top teams. They were within a couple possessions of Michigan State late. Uh, They were up on Ohio State by five with a minute or so to go, but they haven't been able to close the deal. Uh, But, um, you know, Purdue needed to to just kind of separate itself from. From Illinois, and it finally did. And um, that's something that, you know, I've been waiting to see them do to to any team in the Big Ten because their first four games were decided by a combined 21 points. And, you know, they needed, you know, they they just needed, they just didn't need to play a close game. And uh, for them, you know, this came at the right time, they had been off. From playing for several days they would had four or five days of practice uh, because the Michigan game was canceled or postponed excuse me and um, I, I think there was some pent-up emotion there there was some um, you know an opportunity to to really get out of the gate fast and and, and you know get a quick start which is, what, which is what they did and you know they just kind of took it from there so uh, I thought Jaden Ivey was really amped up, uh, and he said after the game he feels like program's been disrespected after losing a couple games, and uh, whether he's hearing the talking heads on TV, you know, say Purdue, you know, can't win the big games, can't, you know, you know they're struggling at the point guard position, or um, you know they got too many turnovers, or whatever it is, you know, they can't play defense. It seems like Jaden has taken that to heart. Um, which could be a good thing for Purdue or should be a good thing for Purdue as they go to to Illinois on Monday. Um, you know, they, they need a motivated Jaden Ivey. They need a, uh, whether it's real or imagined, uh, they need a Jaden Ivey that is, is pissed off at whatever and is, is fueled by whatever disrespect is out there, uh, to, to, to help carry this team because uh, he's you know he's the one guy on the floor that's going to have the ball in his hands that's going to make decisions uh, and he's the one guy that can that can make things happen over and over again. Uh, so if he's in that same mind mindset come Monday you know you like Purdue's chances in that game you know assuming you know Purdue can control Kofi Coburn, uh, Trent Frazier doesn't go off and whatever else happens with Illinois they have a very talented team very deep team uh, not maybe not they're not as deep as Purdue but it's a very talented team that Purdue is gonna face on the road uh, in a in a hostile environment uh, and you know Purdue needs to be ready Purdue needs to be ready to fight and uh, this is gonna be a tough physical battle uh, you know Kofi's gonna Try to foul out, foul out both Edie and Williams, and Purdue's just going to keep running big guys at him uh, and hope to foul him out or get him in, getting in some, get him in some foul trouble. Uh, but Purdue's going to have to defend dribble penetration. Uh, they're going to have to do a lot of things better defensively, closing out on shooters uh, to, to win this game. But uh, you know, back to Ivy, I, you know, I think he, um, you know, wherever he picked this up from. Uh, if it helps him, if it helps Purdue, you know, I think, I think everybody will take it. But, um, you know, Monday is a very curious game now for a lot of reasons, and uh, we'll see what, what shakes out there. Purdue is going to need, um, you know, Sasha Stefanovic not to be one for seven. Um, you know, they're going to need their big guys to play with some composure and finish around the rim finish through contact, finish through a lot of physical play, and, you know, rebounding, they're going to have to, you know, they can't get out-rebounded by Kofi Coburn. You know, you got two guys there that are good rebounders, and they can't get out-rebounded by, by Kofi Cooper They just can't. Uh, Purdue needs, Williams and Edie need to control that area. They need to keep Kofi off the boards. Um, but they can't let him... Put up some some kind of monster double double that uh, basically dictates the game. And if uh, you know, you like their chances if they do that. But you know, Elmo has a lot of other weapons too, just like Purdue and um, you know guys like Mason Gillis and you know Caleb. First got 10 points tonight, even though some of those were in mop up duty uh, when the game was already out of hand. But it was good to see because uh, Purdue needs contributions from from Caleb first and you know Brandon Newman hit a pair of three-pointers got a couple steals Uh, so maybe that that's a a a good direction for for Brandon to go after not playing at Penn State and probably you know wondering what his role is going to be and doesn't mean he's going to play at Illinois but it should give him some confidence and it should you know, hit the point home that you know they do need him to do certain things, and if he, if he's going to do that, then I think he he can he can help the team. But you know, as I said earlier, I think this was a uh, an important win from the standpoint of just being able to crush an opponent. Um, and when you got a 19 point lead in the first seven or eight minutes, that really helps. Uh, then you know you have just been able. Then they were just able to kind of maintain that lead, and then put the game away in the second half and you know, kind of let it go from there. So not really a whole lot to, to go through from uh, Friday night's game, uh, which gives us time to talk a little bit about football, where things are at from a, a coaching staff standpoint. As you know by now, uh, Brad Lambert has left uh, for Wake Forest uh, to be the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, so there's one opening. Um, you know, as, as I, as I wrote about the other day, Neil Calloway has retired. Uh, he was assistant line, offensive line coach, uh, for the Bullemakers. So there's another opening, uh, Jamarcus Shepard, the, uh, you know, receivers and co-offensive coordinator has left for the university of Washington. Uh, so there's a third opening. Uh, you can expect a fourth opening probably either this weekend or early next week where, um, Quarterbacks coach James Adams uh, will be on the move, most likely to Wake Forest. Uh, so that will create another, another another opening for for Jeff Brom, uh, and there might be one more opening uh, come uh, whether it's um, over the weekend or next week or or down the line. You might you might get another one there uh, uh, on the offensive side of the ball uh, to. Uh, for, you know, to, to really kind of create more more holes on the staff and uh, you know I think Jeff Brown probably is going to you know when all this kind of settles down probably take a, a harder look and evaluate um, you know what he wants to do I mean he's already probably talking with, uh, with potential candidates um you know, as I wrote the other day, I think Taylor Stubblefield is at near or at the top of his list for receivers coach. He's at Penn State. Uh, now, whether he would get a co-offensive coordinator title, I don't know. Uh, but I do know that, that Jeff Prom is interested in, in, in Taylor Stubblefield, uh, former Baltimore receiver. Uh, you know, Mark Hagan was, was on the coaching staff when, when Stubblefield played. Uh, so you'd have that kind of connection there. Uh, so you know he's, he's moving ahead but you know when you get down to some of the other details as far as okay is Brom still going to commit two coaches to the offensive line um, and then what happens with tight ends uh, um, uh, and I you know and I've written this I, I think he should go to one offensive line coach combine those salaries even add more to the salary pool um, and then go out and find uh, a really top-notch uh, recruiter who, you know, can evaluate, can develop, um, recruit, and get more players from an offensive line standpoint—kind of more ready, ready to play guys—as opposed to having to wait two or three years to get them on the field. That's great if you have a pipeline already established, and Purdue does not have a a a pipeline established. Now, you know I say that, and um, the offensive line held up well this year from a pass protection standpoint, but Purdue still can't run the ball from a traditional standpoint. And when I say that, talking about handing off to a running back and and doing it that way, Um, Purdue has had to. of manufacture uh, the run game in different ways, as you saw this past season, Uh, you know, using multiple quarterbacks to try to get a running game going, doing some different things. Uh, But I I believe, and, you know, maybe I'm the only one that does, that I think you got to be better up front. I think Purdue needs to be better up front. They're always going to work that in the portal. They're always going to try to bring in an offensive lineman or two uh, through the porters portal, somebody more experienced. But I I believe if you if you can get it done on the front end of recruiting, and that's high school recruiting, with getting um, signing some top level talent, um, you know, from the Indianapolis area or wherever you're going to get them, uh, and, and and going about it that way. It uh, doesn't mean they won't dip into the portal. It just, uh, you know, I think you need some some homegrown guys and some guys that, you know, uh, that you've identified early in the process and uh, can come in and help you, you know, as soon as possible. doesn't mean freshmen are going to come in and play, but there are a lot of, you know, the, the thing that used to happen was, you know, freshmen couldn't play offensive line because they just were not physically ready to do that, but with with so many off-season programs, so many specialized training, uh, so many players working uh, 24-7 on their craft, and that includes offensive linemen, they're, they're more ready to play today than they were five years ago. It doesn't mean that they automatically get in there and play, but I, I think there are certain players that are that are that are ready, and uh, you know I think combining those positions, paying more money. Uh, I, I would make the offensive line coach if there was just one the highest paid offensive guy on the staff, because to me that's the most important position. And you know Jeff Brom has said it, but he really hasn't backed up those words. Just, uh, you know from a from a financial standpoint, a resource standpoint, yes. There's two coaches doing that, but I mean, uh, you know, pay somebody a half a million, six hundred thousand dollars a year to be that recruiter, to be that developer, uh, to be that guy that can teach and and, and give players the proper training to uh, to improve. And as I said, Purdue did a good job protecting the passer this year, but uh, still struggling to run the ball and. You know, I, I, I've said this a million times. Purdue will never lead the Big Ten in rushing, nor should it. But it can't be last, and that's where it's been the last uh, two or three years. Uh, it needs to move up into the middle somewhere, uh, but it just it just can't be last. Uh, you got to have some balance there. Uh, it, you know, despite not having the balance, Purdue had a very successful year offensively. So that can be thrown back in my face uh, if, if you want to do that, but. You know Purdue needs needs a running game uh, to go with it, uh, go with what they've done from an offensive standpoint in the passing. And you know next year you don't have a David Bell, you don't have a Rondell Moore, uh, you may not have a Milton Wright depending on how things shake out. So you you don't have a dynamic number one receiver. So you're going to need you're going to need something on the ground. Uh, and if they can do that, that's fine. So but anyway, that's a little bit off track about. Where I stand on the coaching staff, but um, you know things will happen. You know I would anticipate uh, Braum hiring a linebackers coach. Whether he, whether this person gets a co-defensive coordinator title like Lambert did, remains to be seen. I would anticipate them hiring a receivers coach, uh, you know, as soon as possible before spring ball, um, and then depending on what you do with the offensive line and the tight ends, uh, that potentially could wait. Until after spring ball, but I think the two, the two major ones are going to be well, the three major ones are going to be, uh, you know, linebackers, receivers, and then the cornerbacks coach. Uh, although, you know, Purdue can get away with having Ron English coach the safeties and uh, and the cornerbacks during spring spring practice. Uh, so we'll you know we'll see how that all shakes out, but. Expect a few more openings on the on the coaching staff. Uh, just you know, it's just the way it's going. You know, you can't blame Bla- Brad Lambert for going back home. Basically, spent ten years at Wake Forest before. Uh, you know, Jamarcus is you know thinks that he he can improve his position uh, to to get in line for a head coaching job, and you know maybe he can. Maybe it's a better path for him to go to Washington and maybe get a head coaching job after that or. Make another stop, um, or he just doesn't feel like he can get it done. You know, get get to that path at, at Purdue. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, you know, he's done well at Purdue. He's, you know, he helped recruit David Bell, helped recruit Rondell Moore, uh, has helped bring some other receivers along. Um, and you know, you have to you have to credit him. Uh, you know. The way Brock Thompson played uh, in the bowl game, uh, the way they utilized Jackson Anthrop throughout his career, uh, so you, you know you got to got to give some credit to the coaching staff for how that all all shook out. So uh, so just keep your eye on those things as they as they come up uh, over the next several weeks. Uh, you know Purdue's going to start spring ball at the end of February, so I would anticipate some of these openings getting filled before they actually uh start practice and uh I just wanted to say one other thing um uh my father-in-law uh passed away Mike Henderson he's from Indianapolis area uh on New Year's Day and uh we had the the visitation and the the funeral on Friday uh very nice service very well done but I just um I just wanted to pass along one thing. I mean, I I knew his history, and I knew uh, where he had played, where he attended. Uh, But he was uh, was a head coach, basketball coach at Ritter High School when it first started. Uh, He also coached at um, Decatur Central, coached at the Latin School in Indianapolis, if any of you are old enough to remember that. Uh, then ended up coaching basketball at uh, Marion College, uh, which is now Marion University. Uh, he was assistant basketball coach with John Grimes for many years, uh, but he also um, did some things in the high school ranks. And he was a pretty good basketball player at Cathedral back in the day when it was an all boys school. So at the visitation um, and and the, and the funeral, you know, there's flowers that come and you know people write cards and they put messages on them and you know i i knew that he had played uh, while at cathedral he had played against uh oscar robinson who was at christmas Attics at the time you know i knew that because his his mother uh when i first you know got into the family would 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 tell me those things and you know i i believed her and you know, and all that he held his own against Oscar, and when they when they played, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm looking around at the flowers uh, and the messages on, on 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 some of that stuff, and on one of the cards there was a list. There were four or five names. Uh, one of them was Bobby Plump. You know, I think most people in Indiana or most people listening to this know who Bobby Plump is uh, from Myland. Um you know, he had the game-winning shot. You know, the Hoosiers movie and all that. Uh, there was a couple other names on the card, but the big name on the card was Oscar Robertson. So he had seen uh, Mike Henderson's obituary in the Indianapolis Star, and or someone told him about it. Don't know exactly how he how he how he found out about it, but it was enough for these four or five people to get together and send flowers and you know you sh- we were showing people that you know during the, the visitation and you know it would just it kind of hit home again just how you know kind of the life that he led and who he encountered during his his time you know a lot of his former players showed up a lot of his um, people he worked with showed up uh, people from Ritter, people from Marion College, so on and so forth. So it was a, a very nice situation, but uh, I just wanted to pass that along. Uh, and we don't do a lot of personal stuff on this podcast or or anything like that, but it just, you know, I was impressed once again about kind of how the, li- the life that he led, uh, and the family that he he, he helped build, uh, the career that he 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 had. Uh, throughout all those years and the number of people that he encountered and I just wanted to kind of say that uh, not to try to impress anybody but just you never know um, throughout your life who who you're going to encounter and what kind of impression you're gonna leave on people and for for him to leave the impression that he left with Oscar Robertson and Bobby Plump, among others, just you know, kind of, kind of hits that home uh, for me. So I appreciate you allowing me to, to say that. Uh, not that I needed your permission anyway, but I sticking through it to to kind of allow me to get to the end there. Anyway, appreciate you stopping by on the podcast. Questions, comments, concerns, uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, obviously, Purdue got a big game on Monday at Illinois. Uh, we'll be back to recap that. That's a noon tip-off, uh, Martin Luther King Day, uh, and uh, uh, we'll we'll see what uh, we'll see what transpires there. The worst news about Monday is the Beef House is closed. They're not open on Monday, so I got to find somewhere else to eat on the way back. I, I, I've already targeted a place, and uh, uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out on Monday. Anyway, appreciate you stopping by, uh, and have a good day.